we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. As we have discussed, uh, I think, many times on this broadcast, uh, I think the public has been, uh, well, they, they've been uh, brutalized with these vaccines. I think people are fearful and uh, they don't always uh, uh, you know, embrace them anymore. And, and I think the damage that's been done to the vaccine in- industry is uh, pretty, pretty serious, actually. There's one out now for uh, RSV, which is really interesting. Some of the points they make in this, I want to talk to you about today. We've got a whole lot more here on the Q&A 102. Well, welcome into America Out Loud Pulse. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, along with my co-host. Dr. Peter McCullough. So you are quoted in this piece here, too. Did you see that by chance that you were quoted yes. in here? Yeah, okay, cool. I wasn't sure if you've seen it or not. But uh, we're talking about, let me bring everybody up to speed here. We're talking about a, a piece in Politico. Uh, and uh, But th- this is interesting. Now, the headline on this is there's a new life-saving vaccine. Why won't people take it? Uh, there's a lot to the story. And it gets into the RSV, um, which... Um, uh, is interesting the numbers here they got they they have here in a typical year according to the CDC as many as eighty thousand children under age five are hospitalized I have no idea these numbers and between a hundred and three hundred kids die from this for those sixty five and over there are up to one hundred and sixty thousand hospitalizations a year and six thousand to ten thousand deaths uh, but. Uh, so they created this vaccine, this new vaccine, and people aren't taking it. Is that that what I understand? Yes, but we have to go back to this. These original sets of numbers. Um, these are projections, and um, I do question them. I'm looking at paper by Havers and colleagues, MMWR, October six, twenty twenty three. Basically, towards the end of COVID, Malcolm, what we've seen is an explosion of messaging on RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which is a very stable virus. It's smaller, less complicated than SARS-CoV-2. Majority of cases occur in babies as a runny nose, a drippy nose, or or kind of a, a, a croupy cough. And, you know, we treat it with nebulizers, albuterol and budesonide, nebulizers and my understanding of this is that you know only those who aren't treated at home just like with COVID-19 end up in the um in the hospital and then they're easily treated in the hospital and death really isn't uh, an issue with RSV and so from this paper by Havers they they had 32 18 adults age over 60 identified with RSV-associated hospitalization. So the hospitalizations weren't due to RSV. They happen to test positive. Mm-hmm. And they can be in the hospital for a variety of of, um, of reasons. And, uh, and, and they give the um, uh, information. Now, um, uh, many of the RSV testing positive also have influenza testing positive okay right. so it's almost like these are code detections and um almost all of them have underlying conditions obesity chronic obstructive pulmonary disease 
heart failure, diabetes, hmm. immunocompromising situations. And I'm just looking at the adult data here. So this isn't like this virus strikes you and me right. and puts us in the hospital. We're almost back to the same types of factors that we saw with SARS-CoV-2. So from this study, you know, they project out and they come out with these really big numbers. But I've always questioned this, Malcolm. I'm, listen, I'm an adult internal medicine doctor. You know, I was on the inpatient medical service for years. I never had a case of RSV in the hospital because it's so easily treated at home. We typically don't suspect it. Uh, I'm in an outpatient practice now. We haven't seen a case all year. So what we're seeing is, I think, the pharmaceutical companies would call this market preparation. Yes. That is really talk up a problem, talk it up, come up with some big projections, because guess what, Malcolm? There's some new products for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I can see where that would fit into this scenario here. Now, the couple of points here, uh, Dr. McCullough, they talk about uh, they talk about late pregnancy, that it's highly recommended for those in late pregnancy, uh, which would protect infants from birth. Uh, they, and they talk about the elderly, of course, as well. Again, same sort of thing uh, with a lot of the cases as COVID uh, when they were pushing that. But what you just said is important, though, about the lifestyle. It just reminds me so, you know, uh, how, why it's so important we protect our health. We talk about our immune system all the time. We talk about a meta metabolic health. This is where a lot of people fail the test because we're and you're right. If you're not taking care of your health at a high order, you're susceptible to these kinds of things. And is that a fact that these are the these are the people most at risk who have these underlying conditions? Is that correct? Well, yeah, so far we've been talking about adults over age 60 and the CDC now recommends that they take a new Pfizer vaccine at, at that age range. But what we know is that uh, it didn't strike healthy people. And uh, I wanted to point out the clinical trial in adults called Renoir. This is a trial done by Pfizer. 34,284 adults, they get the Pfizer vaccine versus placebo. Do you know how many cases of RSV in this trial? So this is a really solid um, number. The answer was 44 cases they found in observation. Hmm. Way less than 1% of people get RSV, Malcolm. Way less than 1%. Uh, another uh, paper in JAMA by June and colleagues, uh, they were comparing RSV versus non-RSV hospitalizations where they're adjudicated to have it, you know, in the in, in, or, or, uh, infections when they have it in seniors, in vulnerable seniors, and in those with RSV, zero hospitalizations. So, so even if someone gets this in senior living, Malcolm, it's easily treated. We're back to the principles of our nasal virucidal sprays and washes that we featured on the show, uh, you know, like Cofix RX uh, and, uh, and the gargles, uh, scope or Listerine, and then simple outpatient nebulizers if needed. But if the real world data show zero risk of hospitalization, and even in the Pfizer trial, they come up with way less than 1% of people getting RSV. I am suspicious that we're hearing a ton of talk about RSV because they're in a sense trying to create a market. This is to create a market to sell a vaccine. Yeah, how long has RSV been a thing? Can you tell me? I have no idea, how long? It's been around for decades. It's, okay. it's very stable. Okay. And again, it's just never been a big deal, but let me bring in some more uh, data. Um, uh, uh, adults. Moderna has an RSV 
messenger RNA vaccine. And they've already tested it in the Conquer RSV uh, trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And again, huge study, 35,541 uh, patients in the study, only 20 cases of RSV show up. So way less yeah. than 1%. So when they do these clinical trials, they can't find anybody getting RSV, even in placebo. Now what's happened is this is extended to uh, pregnant women, as you pointed out. Right. The Pfizer Matisse trial, they injected pregnant women ages 24 to 36 weeks in pregnancy, never been done before to give an experimental. This is an antigen-based prefusion vaccine. And uh, then they look for RSV in the babies. Hmm. Listen to this, you know, over six months, 81 babies out of 6,975, 1.1% of babies. And we treat it easily with a nebulizer, no risk of hospitalization and death. So now pregnant women are expected to take this Pfizer uh, RSV vaccine. And you saw Pfizer advertising like crazy through the Super Bowl. Guess what? Because they have an RSV vaccine. And I I can tell you this much that uh, I think it's risky. There's already one manuscript that I I know in preparation where the RSV vaccine prompts premature delivery in some women because they get a fever. You never want a pregnant woman in the third trimester to get a fever because it can cause precipitous delivery. That's exactly what's happening. So so the Hmm. injecting pregnant women is for the theoretical benefit of getting antibodies to the baby, but it it doesn't stop there. uh, because now the babies are getting injections on the first day of life, Malcolm, yeah. with nirsevivimab, which is a monoclonal antibody. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to do a little dot connecting as you've been talking here, and my antenna is definitely up on this whole thing now. Because right, let me let me put a few things out here. So as we remember, and we've reported on this, all these big pharma vaccine companies, they've all taken a real big hit to their P&Ls. I mean, major hit, major hit. Because uh, all that revenue that was coming in, pouring in to these uh, companies, these big pharma companies, it's all gone now. It's all dried up because people are not getting those things anymore. Mm -hmm. They have all this help. They have all this staff. They have all these people. They have all these expenses. They built this in. In fact, some of them started laying off large amounts of people. Mm. It's been a hit to their bottom line. It's been a hit hit, hit to their stock prices, things of that nature. So put that aside a moment. Now you've got to create need. It, it, back to the old, uh, you know, uh, deal here, uh, Dr. McGillie. It's supply and demand is what it is. And so then now, now they got to hit. It's a free market. You got to, like you say, they got to put this out there and create a marketplace for it. And that's obviously what they're doing. And, and here's the crux of it. When I asked her the question, I didn't know the answer till you told me. And I said, Well, how long is this? Because you know, I see all these emails come in. I see a lot of people talking about it, it, this. Was kind of a messy year of all these flus and viruses and and RSVs and COVID stuff and all this other stuff. We we kind of said this some time ago. And a lot of this stuff, uh, these RSVs, it's something I never heard about before. You said it's been around for decades. I would, mm-hmm. You would ask me a year ago, two years ago, but I, I don't know what it is now. It's like it's reported on, we hear it. So it's like all of this, when you do the math, it, it, you're saying to me the RSV has been around, it's been part of our lives, it's been the fabric of our lives right along. And yet they're making it into a thing now, and it's not really a thing. And now they're trying to create a marketplace for it. It kind of do a little dot connect in here. You can kind of see the math here a little bit, right? Right. It's clearly an effort huh. wow. on market preparation. But l- let me just pursue this nirsevivimab. This is a monoclonal antibody. 
by Santa Fe and AstraZeneca joint project to inject all babies on the first day of life. This started in September, October of 2023. If the mothers don't say anything, the babies get hit with this monoclonal antibody. Now we've never given a monoclonal antibody, uh, which is a synthetic antibody, fully humanized to a baby in the first day of life ever. There's no long-term safety information. This just got pushed forward. The American Academy of Pediatrics has signed off, off on it. All the medical societies signed off on it. And there were two trials that this was based on. First was the Nursevamab study group by Griffin and colleagues. There on safety, there were three deaths out of 968 in the monoclonal antibody group and three deaths out of 479 in placebo. Uh, and, and then the second trial is the Hammett Melody trial. Listen to this. Three deaths in the monoclonal antibody out of 987 and zero deaths out of placebo, 491. You'd expect zero deaths in an infant um, trial. What's been raised here is that the monoclonal antibodies may, may be making things worse, even though there is an effect size, there is a reduction in you know new incidence of RSV cases. It doesn't eliminate them. The vaccines aren't perfect either. It doesn't eliminate RSV. That maybe this is backfiring. So on my show, I interviewed, interviewed Helene Benoun from France, who's been working with Christine McCoy, and they have the French data uh, in the fall, they had already given this out to 200,000 babies in France, Malcolm. And you know what? Hmm. The infant mortality is going up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and so listen, what they think this is, hmm. this is backfiring. So the virus is actually hmm. now through antibody dependent enhancement is causing more severe infection and death. And that's what explains hmm. the Griffin and Hammett trials. And now a paper by Beach and colleagues has been published that is demonstrating that if we mass administer monoclonal antibodies, which is happening in Europe and the United States right now, RSV, which has been a pretty benign virus, hasn't changed much over the years. Now it's going to start to mutate. Yeah. You know, as you pointed out many times, uh, if there's not a problem there, what are we trying to vaccine against when it could create problems back to mm -hmm. pregnant women, back to babies? Like there, and you said this right along through the whole deal. Like that's well, that's not a risk factor. Why would you go ahead and do something that's not even a risk factor and take the chance? Now, having said all that, the Children's Health Defense, their quote on this is this: Despite twelve deaths during the clinical trials, here we go again. The CDC mm -hmm. signs off on the RSV shots for newborns, and they don't like it, and they put their voice out there. And they then they clarify the and, and this is what gets me on this kind of thing. And then they qualify it by saying, well, you know, that children's health defense, you know, that's that anti-vaccine group that was founded by that that candidate, the Robert F. Kennedy guy, you know, that's how they size it off. And then you, they say uh, that another vaccine critic. A uh, physician named Peter McCullough uh, uh, was urging his followers uh, not to get vaccinated. RSV is infancy, easy to treat with nebulizers. Uh, and then there were others like him on various social media platforms. So, you know, they don't like these this messaging. They don't like what you're saying. They don't like what, you know, Children's Health Defense is putting out there because they have a new product. And obviously they want it out there. But what's the risk factor? RSV's been here. We don't see a lot of deaths, as you stated. So why would somebody take a chance? I mean, isn't that the, isn't that the quandary? Yeah, or just the idea of can there be a more rational use? I mean, does every single pregnant woman mm. now need to take a new vaccine with no safety 
data over the long term for the pregnancy or the baby? Does every baby need to take a monoclonal antibody with no information on how this is going to affect the developing immune system? And does every adult like you and me, Malcolm, Mm. over 60, do we need to take suddenly take this vaccine that we've never even had a concern for this illness in our entire lives and we probably never will? Did right. you see what I mean? Should we I start do. taking vaccines? That's that, what I mean. You've said that right that we long. don't worry about because yeah. this one is just, uh, you know, this one is too small and it's too easy yeah. to treat. There, there'll, yeah. there'll never That's be it. a mortality benefit. So, but the point I'm making is, yeah, um, I'm not anti-vaccine, but I'm, what I'm saying is, can we come up yeah. with a risk stratification approach? The Pfizer vaccine looks reasonably safe, let's say in adults. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how about patients with emphysema? or heart failure or some serious condition not everybody over age 60 pregnant women should not get vaccines i'm sorry but you know and you've said that you've said that steadfast you've been steadfast on that point listen those 12 deaths that the that the the cdc uh, uh, chd rather the children's health defense commented about uh those 12 deaths in the uh clinical trials for the rc shots uh, the politicos coming out and saying none of those deaths were caused by the shots. They're saying, do we know anything? About, I mean, I don't. I don't really know. No, but Malcolm, in the clinical trials, we basically count everything. That's the reason why it's a clinical trial. I see. You know, infants should not die in the study. And if there's a complicated death, what Helene Benuna yeah. says, listen, we need more information about it. Uh, could this be antibody dependent enhancement? Uh, mm-hmm. Could could the vaccine if they get a severe rsv case and on the ventilator could the vaccine make it worse you know we should be conservative with this the point i'm making is there could be risk stratification let's say pregnant women take them out because we can't risk losing the baby and it looks like that's happening so that's a disaster let's take newborns newborns don't need a monoclonal antibody but what if a, a newborn is born with severe cystic fibrosis or a congenital diaphragmatic hernia and a collapsed lung? There could be a newborn that really could benefit from some monoclonal antibody coverage. You know, that could be a tiny number of administrations. Do, do, do you see what I mean? So yeah, I, I'm absolutely. not saying these are bad tech, but well, we'd have to get to a really high risk group. The, the companies, yeah. they don't want to have a small number of sales. They actually want every human being in the country. That 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 that's what the vaccine lobby wants. They love this. This is way better than therapeutics. Therapeutics, we'd only treat a small number of people. They want to get everyone. That's a massive. You're very right. And anybody who doesn't go along with this, if you don't go along with this stuff, you know you're called an anti-vaxxer, right? You know we're vaccine risk aware. I'm just saying that even a small number of of uh, adverse events, we can't have, we can't be giving a vaccine to try to produce an effect on reducing a mild viral illness and end up with even a single child that's died. You know, now you're going to hear more and more about RSV. I'm looking at a, um, uh, a graph of an RSV is clearly seasonal. It happens during the winter time, the peak month is January. There's a peak every year. So it's stable, Malcolm. I'm looking at this figure right now. Uh, this is a children age zero to five. It's stable 2010, slowly increasing all the way to 2019. And guess what happens in 2020, 2022, and now this last year? It skyrockets. Why did RSV go up? Because there's testing now. So now there's a big push to test for RSV. 
this has so many similarities to COVID. Right. Now this is going to be kind of what they call a case-demic. So we keep doing all these tests. You'll mm -hmm. find people ha harboring the virus, and you count everything. And, and now if you look at 2023, the number of cases they're reporting uh, per, per million in this analysis, just for example, they're, they're reporting 1,100 for 2023. Do you know how many there were in um, 2011? How many? 200. Wow. So you mean to tell me that there's a five-fold increased risk of RSV over mm. 10 years? Is that real? Or is it just because now the companies are developing this market, they're pushing testing, there's papers written on this, we're now just building ourselves up into an RSV frenzy. So I had a sh show a few weeks ago with Helene Benoon on it, and I titled the, the, the show, The New Cash Cow of the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Yeah. Can you imagine a vaccine for all pregnant women, yeah. a monoclonal antibody for every right. baby born, That's right. a second dose of the monoclonal antibody for all the babies at eight months, and now yeah. a, mono a vaccine for every adult yeah. over age 60, Malcolm? Listen, you know what you're saying? You know what you're saying is this this whole thing has been exposed now, really and truly. It's been exposed throughout COVID. It's, I mean, it's all out in the light of day now, Dr. May. And I see all the, everybody knows. I mean, I mean, people are alert to this thing now. And that's why they're not standing in line for these products and these <laughs> vaccines anymore. They're not, and they don't want them. And they're, they now are privy to what's going on. And, you know, they're selling this stuff, by the way. They've got doctors. I see in the stories here, and I've looked up several of these stories, but in, on TikTok, uh, the TikTok docs, they call them, and people that are pushing this stuff and uh, trying to, you know, saying they get the vaccines and all of this stuff and what have you. But it's become a huge moneymaker, and it's clear. And, you know, but it, it, let me ask you this here. To, 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 to wrap this all up into a pack, package here, don't you think really and truly that let's call it the vaccine industry for whatever better it is for all those companies that have been selling this stuff. But don't you think, I mean, in an odd sort of way, they're sort of getting what they deserve at this point. I mean, really and truly. In other words, the fact that the market has turned a lot of this off and a lot of people who would have considered certain ones before don't want anything to do with the word vaccine, period. I think they're sort of, you kind of can't have your cake and eat it too anymore. And I think they kind of get their just rewards right now. What do you say to that, sir? We'll see, Malcolm. I had a patient today who's very remorseful. He took three COVID shots and I said, why'd you do it? He goes, my doctor really convinced me. So doctors are still yeah. part of this vaccine lobby in a strong way. But let me tell you, in my Substack on this, I pulled the data. So far with the maternal RSV vaccine, do you know what the acceptance rate is of women accepting the shot? 10%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that goes to your point is, you know what? Yeah. yeah. Women aren't buying this. I I'm hoping no. yeah. that uh, obstetricians are not recommended. I, I can't, I, how can someone forgive themselves for telling a woman to take a shot that's not even for her benefit, it's for theoretical benefit of the baby, and then have her lose the baby before the delivery? That's, it defeats the whole purpose of getting pregnant. Yeah, it, so, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. So, um, you yeah. know, I think I think mm. where where there will be some balance because the Pfizer RSV vaccine, honestly, um, uh, does look reasonably safe. Would be in patients, adults with severe lung disease, mm. uh, uh, children. There's going to be a, a childhood vaccine shortly. Again, child, you know, child with cystic fibrosis who's on oxygen. Yeah. You, you, you know, people who require home oxygen are good proxies for severe lung disease. 
if they get really any type of hit to their lungs, like RSV, they could go down. So, you know, some benefit with a vaccine could make the difference between surviving at home with some nebulizers versus going on the mechanical ventilator. To me, that's worthwhile. But because it's so rare in healthy people, and even if we get it, we just are easily treated, I personally would never consider it for myself. I'd never consider it for my, for my healthy family members or for my patients. But I would consider it if I had a patient on oxygen who I thought was very tenuous. I, what I don't understand with the vaccine um, lobby is why can't we use risk stratification? We use this in every other aspect of medicine, Malcolm. You know, I don't put everybody on cholesterol-lowering medicines. I don't put everybody on blood pressure. We, we, it, it depends on who needs it. We, we can't, we don't seem to be able to just give the vaccine to somebody who really needs it, who could benefit. Well, but it's the same reason why they didn't do early treatment, isn't it? It's the same, same equation, right? It's because the vaccine ideology says, listen, we don't want to treat disease. We want to prevent sure. it. You know, the CDC, by the way, all their messaging is now that RSV is the big preventable disease and it can only be prevented with one method and that is mass vaccination. And because the vaccines are flawed, they're inherently flawed, that, that, that these uh, people in this vaccine field, they want to eradicate disease. They want to pretend everything's like smallpox. And so they believe everybody has to take a vaccine for this kind of population well, herd benefit what we learned with COVID is there really is no such thing as herd immunity right right well yeah. might have been if they left everything alone and kept their hands off. yeah oh you're right but, yeah but they did not and i said that early on you you, you ought to credit me with that quote because i made that statement early on <laughs> i said that no following the bouncing ball early on i i seen the evidence and had they done nothing we would have been far better off and a lot more people would have lived i think so anyways all right <sighs> We all have a sense now, and and some of the all right. We we've got some really good, good, really questions. We're going to segue into in just moments here, and some of these play to some of the stuff we talked a little bit, and kind of get into a little bit of this vaccine business. But there's a whole lot more in here, and we'll get into all of that. And we still have questions from the hundredth anniversary. We're trying to get to. You'll see that with some of them in just moments. This is the hundred and second, by the way, Q and A today here on America Out Loud Pulse. Uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to all the hosts on America Out Loud Pulse on all the days, Monday through Friday. They're all doing an incredible job, and I encourage you to uh, to to listen all the days here, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time on the uh, on the talk radio network. You can hear the show, and of course, all the shows go to podcast naturally. Well, listen, Dr. McCullough, you ever get some of those days where you feel, uh, listen to who I'm asking this question to, you ever get some of those days where you feel the walls are closing in, it's like you're losing your mind somewhere and you just have to get out, get outside of the walls and breathe. You ever feel that way? I do. And you know what? I do get out and it makes a massive difference. Oh man, you know where I'm going. So that today was one of those days. Uh, it was one of those days and it was, uh, I, you know, I'm so... Uh, it's intense here in the studio and on the network and the things we're doing, it's intense. And it's, it's a very uh, aggressive schedule uh, to be sure. Anyways, today was one of those days. And so, you know, I said, I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I know I got all this coming at me, but, but I gotta step off, man. I gotta step off. And I typically try to walk, you know, um, two and a half, three miles. And today I walked four miles and I needed that extra jump in my step. And it was so, so nice, a little chill in the air. 
really, really nice to be out there. You know, gonna go back in, took both the focus and recall today, the uh, mm-hmm. healthy cell, the um, the uh, uh, microgels. I just need a little brain. <laughs> I took the focus and recall. I do what you do now, actually. And you you showed me that. It was actually you that kept doing it. I used to put it in the water, but now I take it right out of the package, into the mouth and down. It's It's like perfect. And I took the immune super boost. And I took some other things with it and just felt good just doing that, you know, and but a lot of this, you know, is important when we talk about this stuff, because a healthy immune system and this is how you starve off a lot of this stuff. And you don't, and when you really pay attention to your metabolic health and you don't have the diabetes and the cholesterol and these other issues that, you know, that, that uh, torment human beings, and make a debilitating lifestyle. That's the whole key. And anyways, that's that's what I did. And you've been doing that a lot too. You've been out running. You like to run, right? More so. Yeah, I ran last night. I felt great. I was in between TV shows. So I figured, okay, I'm going to go for it. So I went out and I ran quickly. I came back and I changed back and I got back on TV and I just made it. Uh, tonight, I didn't have the time. So I, I didn't ahead of time. But when I do... It's uh, it's a Feel tremendous good. burst, and when people do aerobics, yeah. uh, you know when this has been studied, it's certain the most important thing is to get out and move. Number one, That's right. but number two, if you can vary up your pace, so I've told people walk. I said, listen, walking is fine, but jog in front of like three houses. Just do something to vary up your pace That's a, a little point. bit. Uh, if you if you have a house with stairs in it, go up and down stairs. At a oh, I love that running place. up the stairs as long as you don't fall. Right, <laughs> right. and just you know it's okay to take some really deep breaths. It's okay to get yeah. breathless. Yeah. That's what I did yesterday. And I got breathless. And you know what? Afterwards, I felt so good. And Malcolm, you know, it's another thing that really juices the system. We haven't covered this, but maybe I want to invite an expert. Have you heard about the the new, uh, really a fad, cold plunges in ice water? Have I you have seen heard, Yes, I have. Yes. Tell, tell us about it though, please. Well, well first off, have you done it? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, it's been a while. It's, it's been a couple of years, but I've done it. Uh, and it's 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 a little painful at first. I have to tell you. Is it really? Well, it's oh, yeah. Man. I mean, they're frigid. Listen, you put take your body and you put it in frigid water. It's a shock to your system, and then you can go from there to the to the warmer. It's a back and forth. It's a treatment you do with it. Is that what you're speaking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never done it before. I'm kind of a weenie when it comes to like cold water. But uh, you oh, know, then, then you're are, not going to like this. <laughs> well, people are ex- they're extolling the virtues of doing this to just really. Well, yeah. you know what it does is when you yeah. go in cold water, you you very intensively constrict all the capillaries in your skin. Your skin's yeah. your biggest organ in your body, yeah. and as these capillaries um, constrict, there's a massive release of a substance called nitric oxide, yeah. and um, uh, then you get to a point where very quickly the nerves now the nerves in the body depend on sodium uh, conduction just like the, the the heart does and the sodium channels quit conducting very rapidly at all so you get this tingling and then very quickly you go numb uh, and, and there's a, a numbness there and uh, in people who do this you know I don't know how many minutes they stay in these ice baths oh it's not long it's not long. I don't think it's long no no it's not long. no no, no. Uh, and then when you get out yeah. then the capillaries redilate yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what gives this tremendous rush where people just say, wow, after they do it, it's just, it's just they feel so invigorated. Yeah. And uh, it's because of this, this vascular release of nitric oxide and all of these associated factors. And I would say, yes, I, I, I could see where people would feel good and that could even be potentially healthy. Yeah. However, if people have heart blockages or they have pacemakers or they have other conditions, just be careful doing this. I am slightly worried yeah. about uh, you know triggering an abnormal heart rhythm or having another problem. Now, virtually everybody who's doing the ice baths, if you go on Instagram, they're young people. They look young and fit. Watch they? I haven't seen anybody with a lot of gray hair try it. Well, I don't have gray hair. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm mid-age and fit. How's that? <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you could go for it. I, well, I I've could done go it. for it. I've done it. Yeah. It, it, you, it, you have to really build up for it. I'm not kidding. It, it takes a little bit to make that plunge and do it. And it's definitely, you feel it every, every inch of your body. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an awakening kind of moment. It's like, wow. That's a shock. Well, let's invite some comments from our adventuresome uh, listeners about yeah. about if they do it and what they think the health uh, benefits are, because yeah, I want to learn more. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, I love this conversation. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, it's interesting. But these are things I love talking about these things. I, I, I really do that uh, we can all learn from each other. And, and I learn from a lot of the comments and things come in and you'll see that in moments here. Let me invite you also uh, to AmericaOutloud.shop. The micro gels from Healthy Cell, or you get 25% off the first order using the code OUTLOUD. Uh, but they've got some tremendous products there, and I encourage you to look at all of them. Um, we'll be having some promotions at AmericaOutloud.news on these products ahead. Uh, the new ones that are coming out here, uh, the, the, the Heart one is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, my wife is loving the the hair nails and the skin. That's what it is. Hair nails mm -hmm. and skin. When she loves this thing, I mean, I, I I don't know what's gotten into her because she doesn't like to take anything she don't have to take, but she loves that one. <laughs> so it's got some uh, impact, some immediate impact she's been feeling. But the focus and recall, REM sleep, uh, they've got some phenomenal products. The micro gels from Healthy Cell. Um, Pretty good stuff. And I know you you love it as well, Dr. McCullough. You take them as well as I do. And I think a lot of our listeners do, right? Yeah. Well, I tell you, I'm on a good run with the Immune Super Boost. Um, yeah. And because I've just had just a, a whole flurry of these viral upper respiratory tract infections, I'm taking one twice a day. Now, with the Immune Super Boost, not only do you have kind of the traditional things that people know about that have some preventive effect, but there's elderberry extract. There's a variety of other natural substances where there are data, and there's probably about two or three dozen of these uh, different natural substances where there are data that they are, they do, in a sense, kind of boost the immune system. There's not too many other ways to do it. And so um, I'm doing it twice a day. I, you've I, been, you've been not, doing pretty good, though. You haven't had any you, well, your health oh, on that's, otherwise, I'm well, saying. Yeah, uh, that's my point. I'm on a great run. Yeah, you're on a good now, run. Yeah. I also do the Amen. focus and memory, but I just do one in the morning because it's slightly stimulatory. Yeah. And I do the two together. There's no, They don't interfere with each other. No, no, uh, no. You certainly can do that. And let me tell you what, if you want a good night's sleep, oh, my gosh, the REM sleep supplement. Now, I don't do it when I'm physically tired, but sometimes I just feel a little wound up and I'll do the REM sleep supplement and I just get the most restful That's sleep. how I use it as well. Same way. Yeah. yeah the same yeah. way. And, and yeah. the heart, the heart one is fascinating. You've been doing the heart one as well as I am. The heart one is, the heart one is really solid. 
Um, the hard ones, one you can kind of feel good about. Like for instance, one of the active ingredients in the um, heart supplement is uh, res resveratrol. And the only way you get that is through uh, red wine or grape juice. And I just, I'm not a drinker. I don't drink alcohol, so I don't get it that way. We, we typically don't have grape juice. So, I, you know, I it's kind of the best way to get yeah. some of the vascular types of supplements that you otherwise wouldn't get. And it's got co co coenzyme Q10 in there, which I've never well, seen well, that well, in my grocery store. That's the point, right? So CoQ10, yeah. not abundant in food sources. That's right. And with CoQ10, I mean, we're down to uh, having meta-analyses published where people who take CoQ10 uh, have a reduction in cardiovascular mortality, independent of of cholesterol levels or other medications. So uh, the heart utilizes CoQ10 as a, as a cofactor. And you know what? There's no harm in it. There's no safety concerns whatsoever. So I think these can be easily worked into a daily program, Malcolm, and they don't take up space in your summit. You don't have to carry around. I had somebody come in the office today with a giant shopping bag of supplements, these huge bottles, and we are weeding through all of them. Uh, you know, the healthy cell, I just have them organized in a drawer um, in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so that way it's either in the morning or in the evenings when I take them yeah. and it works out great. Yeah. Let me also tell you the featured product is right at AmericaOutloud.news, just up near the top stories. And it's from the wellness company as well. Uh, it's the wellness COVID emergency kit. And it's a whole lot more than that. It's got here. And let me just read you real fast. It's got here the uh, ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine, the, the Z-Pack, budesonide, nebulizer, a guidebook, all kinds of things in this thing. Uh, and people love it. I see all the comments coming in on this and you can get the discount with this as well. Just use the code out loud. And with this kit, they, they, they're actually using the code America out loud because this one here is a different uh, discount and also, but you'll see the, the banner ad right below the top stories at americaoutloud.news that is the featured product this week. And they've come out as I understand Dr. McCullough real quick here, a whole series of kits. Uh, in fact, I've got a meeting with them tomorrow to talk about some of the other kits they have. Looks like they're putting some real energy into that, huh? They have. So everyone's going to have to be briefed on this. They started out with the broad emergency medical kit, which is an aqua blue kit. That's the most diverse kit. So that can handle a bladder infection, urinary tract infection, bronchitis, uh, acute COVID-19. It would also handle, honestly, uh, you know, anthrax, uh, you, you know, uh, tactical uh, warfare. So th there's a lot of contingency planning in the broad medical kit. The uh, COVID kit is very specific, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, azithromycin for acute uh, COVID. And then they've come out with a red um, first aid kit, which has all kinds of uh, first aid supplies. You know, it'd be the type of kit, honestly, you'd want to have in your backpack or your boat. Yeah. when you're out and you know how many you know how people cut their feet on oh something. yeah 100 you know what, 100%. i mean how many times uh, we go out and it's like good grief who's gonna go down this time you know there's always you need something. it and you don't have it and right. like a lot of times you need neosporin and so you don't have it there you go you need That's that stuff it. around when you need it you need well, it um yeah well the thing yeah the point is you need it right away so That's let's right. say you're at the lake and you cut your your foot on glass. You don't want to wait eight hours to come back and then start treating the cut. If you can treat it right away, you you can really avoid a lot of headache later on with affected wounds. And then last one they came out with is a travel kit. Now the travel kit is green, 
And the travel kit is very much oriented towards the things that happen. It happened to my wife the other day, Malcolm, and that is food poisoning. There are so many varieties of food poisoning. When you travel, go to Mexico, go to you know Middle East, uh, Asia, go on a cruise boat, and the different forms of diarrhea. Boy, if you don't, if you're not ready for this, yeah. my wife must have had a bad crab cake. And let me tell you what, this was bad and I was scrambling. I was so glad I had the necessary medicines. I mean, if you can't get nausea, vomiting under control, and then somebody gets dehydrated, the natural body reaction when you get dehydrated is you get more nauseated Hmm. and it becomes a vicious cycle. So uh, fortunately with a kit, you can use uh, Ondecitran, which is uh, Zofran to break the nausea, which is wonderful, even in the dissolving tablets. Uh, there is a guidebook to guide you on the infectious enterocolitis, the types of, you know, Montezuma's re- revenge, which is, you know, an E. coli enterocolitis or salmonella uh, enterocolitis or even um, Campylobacter. Yeah. And, um, and you can basically pull yourself out of trouble. So you're going to go to Mexico. Let me tell you what, get one of the green kits so you don't get burned because when you go to foreign countries malcolm it becomes so difficult to navigate their healthcare system i think everybody should have these we're going to talk more about these ahead i'm going to be uh, again meeting in the next day or so and looking at all of these kits and uh uh we'll, we'll get roll it all out there uh listen i can't believe we, we got to go to pause right here but i can't believe in full disclosure to everybody right now of all things that you share with me uh peter you say you, you know your wife got the possibly food maybe a crab cake and Guess what I'm having for dinner tonight? Uh, my wife and I are no. having for dinner uh, crab cakes. You, I can't no. believe you picked the wrong thing to tell me about. Man, I'll see what on that oh, note. I'm so sorry. <laughs> on that note, we'll pause right there and join you on the other side on America Out Loud Pulse. Asia believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CoFixRx because it works. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA. We power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. 
Oh, we join you back here on America Out Loud. Paul said it's Malcolm Out Loud here along with Dr. Peter McCullough. And uh, that is a true story, I swear to you, what I just shared with you. No joke, no joke. My wife called a little while ago. She said, what do we have to do? I said, I'd love to have crab cake. Oh, let's get some crab cake. Great. That's what we're having. All right. Well, that is Malcolm, l- listen, let's just finish the thought. If you go, and we were at a dinner party. We're at a dinner party. And I think there was, I think, eight people there. And my wife's the only one to get sick. And you know it's food poisoning because you don't get it right away. You you, uh, exactly. you don't eat. Exactly. You go home and 3 a.m., yep. we're talking nausea, vomiting, yep. diarrhea. It's like, bad. Like it's you've bad. never seen. It's really bad. I've had it. And so we're like, good grief. We're scrambling the entire yep. day. Thank yep. God I was home. I wasn't traveling. And it was the better part of a day before we pulled out of it. So then we went through the process of should we contact the host because we noticed there was a lot of leftovers. Right. So we're like, oh, no. And one of the people in our dinner party, Malcolm, she was quite elderly and she had metastatic cancer. And I thought, oh, my God, if she is the if she gets food poisoning, she's going to be hospitalized. There's no way she could she could survive what my wife went through. So we, we called a trusted friend who went there and said, you know, how should we do this? So we went through all the food that we ate. We said, what could it be? Could it be the tartar sauce? Could it be this and that? And it was interesting because it was a type of dinner party where where the food was on your plate when you sat down. So you didn't get to choose what you got. You pretty much had, you know, a set amount. And the conclusion was because everybody basically ate the same thing, the only thing it could have been is one bad crab cake because crab cakes are their own individual units right so it's not mixed with other things it must have been a bad crab cake and that's what we well i don't want to think about it tonight please stop no one ever got sick so i i better stop but wait listen if you have food poisoning and you're trying to locate it it, it, you know in the and i i took Mm. epidemiology as a graduate student university of michigan the most common thing to look for is a bad uh, potato salad bad coleslaw, something that sat out in the heat that's for a long period of time. That's most likely, and it's usually a summer picnic. One time we got to talk more about this, because I'm always fascinated with this, and I, I think there's so many misnomers out there about food poisoning, by the way. I know a lot of people, they're out for dinner, and they come home, and they're just maybe uncomfortable with something else, or they got sick, or something else happens, and they immediately blame it on where they just left like an hour later of the place. And food. I said, that's not food poisoning. That's not the pasta you just had. That's something else prior if it is food poisoning. You don't, food poison isn't, you don't flip a switch, right? I mean, it's not that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it happens in relationship to a meal, but it's not right away. No. It could be up to even 12, 14, 15, 18 hours later. Right. right. But let's take the bacteria just as an example. Let's say E. coli. So if there's E. coli in the potato salad mm-hmm. and you take a scoop of it, and you have um, 6,000 colonies, let's say, of E. coli. And I take a scoop of it, and I have 15,000 E. coli. All you have to do is pass a threshold. Once you're past a threshold of inoculation, one person will get sick and the other person won't. So at 6,000, the person won't get anything. But at 15,000, I'm just using arbitrary units, you get full-blown 
infectious diarrhea and nausea. Oh, yeah, it's not pleasant. Food poisoning, it it will definitely clear your system out in ways that you don't want it to be. (laughs) Uh, It's not a pleasant scenario, uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, I've been there, done that. And uh, it's real difficult when that happens. And it it doesn't even look like a nice picture. But when you only have one toilet bowl, and you're and it's coming out both sides of your (laughs) that's a problem right there. That's a problem. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, no. It's not good at all, man. Oh, boy. I know I gave too much information there but listen 102 we got to dive into some questions here uh this uh, first one plays to a little bit of the narrative we were talking about earlier here but uh linda says uh, congratulations to the 100th show both of you of course we're on 102 today friends but but you get the picture i've listened to every show thanks so much i've learned so much to keep my family healthy thankfully we never took the vaccines we have great peace of mind knowing that spike protein is not in our bodies now looking back, what should we learn? I'm questioning all vaccines now. What did I say to you? Here's yeah, Linda. What did go. I say? She said, and actually most medicines too. She, and then she has a series of questions. Let me just throw them out at you. She says, what about the childhood vaccines? How can young families avoid these for their children? Who can we trust? Are there pediatricians who won't mandate the vaccines? Do you recommend any good resources? You see where she's going. What do you say to Linda? Well, there are definitely pediatricians who don't recommend vaccines. So you simply need to call around. We have some in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's it's well known. Uh, World Council for Health says, and they're a worldwide organization as of September of 2023, that a healthy child born today can safely defer on all the childhood vaccines. There's five studies showing going natural has lower rates of, of problems later on, like asthma and food allergies, need for tympanostomy tubes, uh, neuropsychiatric disorders like ADD and uh, autism spectrum disorder, that going healthy is uh, is a very reasonable thing to do. Where I think this is going though, is just like I said with RSV, I think it should be risk stratified. So again, a child with cystic fibrosis or severe lung disease, if they got diphtheria or pertussis, it could be rough. And it would make sense to take a vaccine, just like with RSV or haemophilus influenza. Many of the vaccines, by the way, are for childhood upper respiratory illnesses. It would make sense. Um, children with known you know, immunocompromising conditions like IgG deficiencies and things of this nature, sure, they should get a tetanus shot. Maybe they could really get you know, tetanus. Right. Um, some of the vaccines ought to be, I think, more regionally um, utilized. So for instance, in Africa, with, with, without modern obstetrics and, and really kind of unclean delivery situations, there is neonatal tetanus. Mm-hmm. The tetanus, uh, Clostridium tetani is passed from the mother to the baby through the birth canal. So there, a tetanus vaccine in the mother can make some sense or even before pregnancy. So I think vaccines cannot be labeled as all bad but we need to work through them to find their optimum utilization because what we're finding out if we mass vaccinate everybody there's going to be these rare safety events and nobody wants to be the, the person who gets burned with you know the next case of Guillain-Barré syndrome um but at the same time we recognize they're grossly overutilized so i think that's where we're going to go right now so if you wanted to rely on something to say listen i want to i have a healthy child healthy baby or grandchild i want to go natural world council for health uh, go to their website in the September 2023 briefing on this, and that would be your support. 
All right. Good questions, Linda, and good observations. Thank you for the email. And I'll tell you that uh, uh, it makes good sense in everything I know now at this point. If I was having a child, and I'm just past that stage now, so I will be having no more children, uh, knock on wood. However, if I was, I would be going to the uh, World uh, Health Council's recommendation. No mm-hmm. vaccines. Thank you for me. Anyways, and this next one's from Barbara. Question, uh, for the 100th episode, Dr. Peter McCullough and Malcolm, do you know if some people with some Native American ancestry and who have received the mRNA vaccines are more susceptible to some of the side effects of COVID or developed other opportunities like inflammation, muscle spasms, balance issues, muscle and joint pain? I'm unaware of any studies, but I can tell you my anecdotal experience, and I do see um, American Indian uh, individuals in my practice, and I'm very familiar with what went on with the Indian Health Service. Malcolm, I'm under the impression that COVID was far more severe for the uh, American Indians than it was for other groups, far more severe. In fact, there were some prominent deaths of uh, COVID deaths. I wouldn't be surprised if they have more problem with the vaccine. Remember the spike protein from the infection and from the vaccine, it it attaches to red blood cells. The red blood cells begin to clump. And that largely explains the the, the fatal complications of the infection and the serious adverse events from the vaccine. It's called hemagglutination. I've interviewed on my show, David Scheim, former NIH researcher, and, and he's put this all together. It's pretty clear this is what's going on. That means certain people with certain different genetic traits that's probably expressed on the surface of red blood cells, there's the ones who get more clumping. So you heard about those blood uh, type A positive with worsened COVID outcomes and O negative, the best COVID outcomes. It's, it's probably something to do with what's called the major histocompatibility uh, cell surface proteins and what's called the Kel antigens in red blood cells. Okay. All right, let me get to this one from George. Uh, um, I'm Malcolm, Dr. McCullough. Congratulations on reaching the 100. Here's the next 100. You've said that the vaccine doesn't leave the body or has not been demonstrated to have been removed. You have also spoke about this test that you can get to use to detect the S1 and S2 segments of the spike protein. Theoretically, if, if if you did that test, on a person who was vaccinated and you didn't detect high traces of the spike, could it be an indication that the vaccine is out of the body? It's very possible. I do that every day in my practice. I interviewed an expert recently and I said, come on, can this Pfizer, Moderna, messenger RNA, can it be so permanent that the body never gets rid of it? And and the answer was, you know, it's used over and over again by ribosomes. There must be fractures. There must be other oxidative and degradative effects that happen. It may be resistant to the ribonucleases, but sooner or later, the body's going to get rid of it. And I agree with the, the, the listener's comment that, come on, if we, if we took the shots in 2021, we have negligible antibodies against it in, in 2024. Can we assume it's essentially gone from the body? I would say yes. Okay. All right, Des, uh, this one's from Des. Uh, is there a correlation between the shots and the rise in deaths, and do those who had two, two, who had two shots fare better than those with boosters, or is it solely down to what batch you had? Huh, interesting. A variety of factors. Great question. Yes, it looks like the excess mortality is related to mass vaccination. We need case-by-case data. 
we need to merge the vaccine administration data with the all-cause mortality data. People are pushing for this all over. None of the governments will do this, I think, because it would bring in incredible culpability if this came out. My hunch is with each shot, it's less likely to be a cumulative effect. It could be like, you know, shot one, shot two, shot three, just get sicker, sicker, sicker. That's possible. But what we're seeing more is a Russian roulette phenomenon where you know, each shot has its own stochastic risk. You do fine with shot one, shot two, then shot three is devastating results in death. So I, I think it's more related to the lots. If people are going to spend time on this, take their vaccine card and look up your lot and get a sense of, are you in the, you know, the upper, uh, you know, the upper quantiles of this or lower down so you can get a general idea. Also pay attention to what your initial reaction was. Did you have a sore arm, fever? Uh, I had somebody today, I had a couple came in, they were concerned about this. Uh, the uh, woman had just a sore arm, didn't miss a beat. The man took the shot and he he missed like a couple of days of work each time. It's like, okay. So th they clearly had a different reaction. Maybe they had the same lots, maybe they didn't, but they should look it up. All right, this one's from Jess. Uh, I've seen a normal heart muscle in comparison to a vaccine-induced myocarditis heart muscle. Dr. McCullough, is this on everyone who is vaccinated? No, you're seeing the histopathologic features of myocarditis. That's probably in about 2.5%, and it's those largely with symptoms. I, I don't think that's going on with everyone. Uh, everyone is having a slight change in the cardiac PET scan, which doesn't cause fundamentally histopathologic changes in the in the fibers. What's going on is I think there probably is these microhemagglutination and every tissue is slightly ischemic. Every tissue is slightly not getting enough oxygen uh, you know, with this vaccine effect of the spike protein. Hopefully, you know, we're able to detoxify this with our methods and get the spike protein out of there. Um, people maybe can exercise their way through this. Um, and that's the likely explanation for what the listener points out, the Nakahara paper, which showed virtually every PET scan turning abnormal in the vaccinated. But I think it's only about 2.5% based on the Mansugian and Byrne studies uh, who really are having, you know, demonstrable heart damage. About half of it, half of them feel it, half of them don't. Okay. And let's leave everybody with a note of hope with this last one from Moya. She says, uh, I'm getting really frightened by what is happening now. Every day you see another poor soul unexpectedly dead. Here's where I think the hope could be. Dr. McCullough, is there any hope for the vaccinated? I think there's great hope. Uh, remember our, our title on a show a few weeks ago, you know, God is bigger than a vaccine. Amen. The human body is amazingly resilient. The majority of people who took these shots are clinically fine. Uh, many people took shots in 2021. It's three years later. I think we got another two years to go through this observation period that the FDA wants us to follow for a genetic injection. And uh, I'm greatly hopeful. I, I just hope that people listen to the messages and interpret the data that we review on this show. And they make positive changes in their life, Malcolm, because so many things people have control over, including their diet, their exercise, uh, levels of obesity, you know, maintenance of other uh, healthcare issues. Now's the time to keep regular visits with your doctor and be vigilant if you've taken the vaccine and chances are you'll be fine. 
Uh, great questions. Thank you for sending them in and keep them coming. We've got a lot more we'll get to next week. Uh, thank you for joining us on the mission here on America Out Loud Pulse. Always a beat ahead. <laughs>